Welcome to Financial Frameworks Podcast 23, Holding On to Your Money, Part 2 of our discussion of ESG investing. Financial Frameworks' goal is to help you increase your financial decision-making skills, building on what you already know. This podcast builds on our series focusing on holding on to your money, and the last podcast in which we talked about balancing safety and growth in both savings and investments while making ESG investments, ESG being environmental, sustainable, and governance investments. Specifically, this podcast briefly reviews what we covered regarding ESG basics in the last podcast, and then we'll move on to the practical and most valuable part of the podcast, developing and applying criteria to two examples, two companies, and working through the data that we find to make practical and measurable assessments of whether a company is really doing ESG or not. We defined ESG investing here as sustainable investing that delivers value by balancing traditional investment with environmental, social, and governance-related activities for long-term profitable outcomes. That definition is the core from the CFA Institute on their webpage describing ESG investing. In practical terms, ESG investing includes companies that explicitly sell environmentally important products and also those that meet the ESG three goals, but while not producing a specific environmentally or societally beneficial product. In discussing how to find ESG potential investments, last time we looked at a couple of funds and we found ESG funds containing Microsoft as a core holding, as an example of that. Podcast 22 provided a good intro for initially finding ESG investments. Today, we'll look at it in more detail and we'll develop specific criteria that you can use. And you can use these criteria as models for looking for other companies. Also, last time we stated two reasons for considering ESG investments. Namely, that investing consistently with your values is more likely to be successful and that all three ESG components, environmental, societal, and corporate governance, are desirable matters that should contribute to sustainable long-term profits. Upon thinking about it, there's a third equally important reason. What's to say that one of these ESG companies isn't a Microsoft or an Amazon? There's potentially a lot of money to be made if one does their homework. So we'll be looking at two categories of investments today. One company qualifies as an ESG firm, That's Microsoft because of the way it does business. The second that we'll look at because it produces an environmentally beneficial product, which is renewable energy, is Next Era Energy. I want to analyze these two companies because they're excellent examples or templates for ESG criteria implementation. If you want to do research on them, there's a lot of information about them so that you can build your own uh, model. The quality of the information that each company provides is robust. The availability of information about them from brokerage firms or other services is voluminous. And most importantly, as I said, you can use these models to develop your thinking. Finally, also, if you want to check my analysis to see if I missed anything or if I misinterpreted anything, the information is not hard to find and you can check my work and you can see whether I was on point 
or if I missed something important. Now let's develop our safety, growth, and ESG metric criteria. The safety criteria is outlined in much more detail in multiple publications. It's a value investing oriented set of safety criteria. Uh, the book I like best is Invested by Daniel Town, and they focus on two or three methods. The stock is at a purchase price, which is a discounted purchase price based on future earnings and future revenues, or it has substantial cash on hand and it can weather difficulties or take advantage of opportunities, and that provides a margin of safety. Again, Daniel Town's book looks at the Buffett-Munger-Graham model, and safety is built into a lot of their metrics. Okay, applying the safety criteria to Microsoft, it has substantial current assets, around a trillion, and it could be trading at a discount depending on what your required return in projecting future earnings is. I look for 15%, and using those criteria, it could be selling at a discount. Another indicator is whether the PE is significantly below the industry median. In this case, it is is about 30% below the industry median. So they pass the safety test. Next era energy on the safety criteria. Their current assets are approximately 12 billion, and their current liabilities are approximately 27 billion. So there's no margin of safety there, but a significant portion of the current debt is the current portion of the long-term debt. So my question is, have they invested heavily on capital equipment so that their earnings and their returns will be much higher five years from now? I don't know that just from looking at the numbers. So I will spend some more time reading both their balance sheet and their annual report to see how they've articulated their projected earnings, I would say for the next five years at least, because next year energy is projecting to go to net zero by, I think it's 2045. Net zero for them means that their power plants will produce no emissions. So I'm concerned about the debt. Next, I look at their comparative PE and see that it's about 30% higher than the median for their industry. That's not what I want to see. So I look at my final criteria that the stock, despite the PE, is trading at a discount using a sound metric. Doesn't necessarily have to be Buffett and Munger, but that's my first choice. The earnings per share growth rated in one brokerage firm's research cited a 63% annual increase in the recent past and applying it going forward. So I will double check that number and I will do a, a future earnings margin of safety projection, again, using a method described in Daniel Town's book to see if the future growth outweighs the current debt and meets my safety criteria. Okay, so that's it for the safety criteria. Microsoft is free and clear. Next energy, there's more questions. Now the growth criteria. Microsoft stock exactly five years ago was $85.29. And I like five-year windows. The stock closed on December 6th at $250.06. That's an average annual increase of 24%. Since I aspire to a 15% annual increase, that's more than satisfactory. Okay, the growth criteria for next era energy. 
The stock is up over 16% annually for each of the past five years, so I will consider it. And also because of the brokerage research, citing past earnings growth that they feel will roll into the future. And then also because I need to investigate their capital spending, I will feed those things into my calculations for future growth. And I'll say that I think that they meet it. Now on to the application of ESG criteria. My recommendations for ESG criteria are that results of ESG efforts can be measured in a meaningful, consistent with long-term profitability, demonstrating tangible benefits at a reasonable cost way that are consistent with the company's goals. So here are my three criteria. One, quantify the amount of good. Is the company producing some sort of significant environmental return on investment? Or do you see results as being significant given the size and the mission of the company? Given the size of Microsoft, I would expect to see a lot more money being spent on environmental societal objectives than a much smaller company. Is what the company doing sufficient given the revenues coming in and the condition of the balance sheet to make a difference in your estimation, not somebody else's, to make a difference in the world? Number two, quantify the cost per the amount of good. I don't want to see a company spending a dollar for a nickel's worth of benefit. That it's just window dressing. Is the company using its resources efficiently to tackle ESG goals. The standard measures for efficiency are ROIC, return on invested capital, and return on equity. The sustainability world has and is developing indices. The Stern School at NYU has a very solid report, which I'll attach as a resource to the website Fin Frameworks. But this is a new area where people are exploring things, what's meaningful, what's not meaningful. So you don't have to have an MBA to develop your own indices, to develop your own metrics. And in fact, that's a fairly important thing to do because you want to own these values. You want to own your perceptions and you want to act with authority and authenticity. I learned a lesson in this a long time ago well, it's got to be almost 25 years now, when I observed a young lady and her father walk up to a microphone in the auditorium, the old Exarban Auditorium in Omaha, to ask uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger a question. And she explained that she had bought a couple of shares, a Berkshire Hathaway a Class B, and she had bought some other things, and she wanted to know what was a good return? What did they think would be a good return on her funds? And she asked the question, and it was very clear she was looking for a number. Most of the people in the room expected uh, Buffett and Munger to give her a pat on the head and say, well, that's great. You're investing. You're learning about this stuff. But Munger surprised everybody in the room and came back and said, I hope that you are not just collecting pieces of paper.
I hope that you and your father, who is standing behind her, are looking at the company in a way that you understand or are aware of what you have bought, that you understand what you own, because collecting pieces of paper is not the point of the exercise or of your life. There was sort of a collective gasp in the room. Munger didn't simply say what most people would have said. Oh, that's really good that you're investing and learning about this stuff early on. Munger took it a layer deeper. Be thoughtful about what you are doing. He wasn't saying that she needed to understand absolutely everything about the investment, but that she needed to be sort of like the boy in a book I've recommended earlier, The Little Book of Investing, in which the author, the father, teaches his son the value of investing using very day-to-day examples. So I say this as an emphasis on developing your own metrics. The three that I'm providing you with here could just be starting points for you, or they could be midpoints that inform what you've already developed. You take one or two minor points from what I have to say here, add them as sidebars, and continue on. So the third ESG criteria is the company has to communicate their results in a fairly transparent fashion. Is it relatively easy or not excessively difficult to validate what the company says it's doing? Are the metrics understandable with some possibly some limited research? In the case of Microsoft, water replenishment is one of their focal points. Do you know the difference between replenishing groundwater and recharging it? I didn't. I looked it up. Then I asked three people who had no technical experience or knowledge on water replenishment, what it was, their understanding of the issue was pretty close. So in other words, you don't have to jump through hoops or take a course in quantum physics to understand what the company is telling you. A quick indicator of whether a company is transparent or not is whether the firm shares the sources of its data and includes appendices that explain their methods and the standards they use to gather and assemble the information. If there are appendices there, um, they probably are making a good faith effort. Okay, so those are the ESG criteria. Quantify the amount of good, quantify the cost per the amount of good, and are the results communicated transparently? Microsoft. Microsoft's ESG report divides reporting on their actions into four operational segments, carbon negative, water positive, zero waste, and ecosystems. And they have results for each area listed, page numbers, etc. at the beginning of their report. If you've been listening to financial frameworks, you know that I like to pick an area, examine it closely, look at it in detail as sort of a prototype research area rather than trying to do everything all at once. If, if what I get from that uh, single examination is sufficient, then 
I'll just do what I'm going to do. But if it isn't sufficient, then I'll start looking at other areas. I care mostly about two environmental areas, energy and water. So I will apply my dive down criteria to Microsoft's water positive efforts. What was the amount of good that Microsoft did? They stated that their commitment to water uh, positive environmental efforts were one, reduce their own water footprint, two, water replenishment in general, and three, improving access to water. Their report stated that they replenished 1.3 million cubic meters of water in fiscal year 21. They consumed 4.5 million cubic centimeters of water and replenished 2.2 million cubic centimeters of that of the water used. That disagrees with the first statistics, but I won't hold it against them because again, this is a new area. And um, their uh, discrepancy is it's significant, but it's not material. It could be a reporting inconsistency. And they stated they increased access to safe, sanitized water for 95,000 people. The report provides 60 pages of data, examples, and descriptions of their actions. So I will say that the amount of good that they did, given the size of their company, uh, satisfies my criteria. The cost of the goods. Costs are not presented explicitly, which I sort of expected because there might be proprietary techniques and how they handle water in their Microsoft data centers. However, there are 25 pages of appendices. Over 12 deal with their methodology and their reporting processes. So I can tell from that the accuracy and what they're attributing those savings to and how they calculated them. So I don't know what the cost was, but because of the level of detail, I'm not pushing on that. The 1.3 million cubic meters of water, the 4.5, the 95,000 people, uh, that says that those were real efforts. They were not PR projects. In terms of their transparency, again, the appendices and the quality of the report, and what I can't communicate to you because I'm not going to read you the report, but it was well-written. It was not obfuscatory. It, wasn't, it didn't try to hide things. So they meet my safety criteria, they meet my growth criteria, and they meet my ESG criteria. What I will do next is ask myself, what is the right price for this stock and determine when to purchase it? Because I'm not going to pay too much for it. Next Era Energy. The structure of Next Era Energy's ESG report is much different than Microsoft's, and it reflects its purpose as a renewable energy company. The main body of the report consists of a discussion of their portfolio of energy producing properties, and they are a physical asset heavy company after all. Secondly, an environmental section, third, a social section, fourth, a governance section, and finally a risk and opportunity section. That to me seems to be very prudent uh, because they're in a highly regulated industry. They're capital intensive, which means that they have to buy things years in advance of when they're implemented. So risks and opportunities can mitigate plans significantly. They include 13 pages to their methodology, their metrics, their reporting and accounting standards. 
amount of good that Next Inner Energy does in the ESG area. They describe themselves as moving from net zero to real zero. And by real zero, they mean that they will eliminate all carbon emissions from their operations by 2045, I believe was the date. They divide their actions into six sets, expanding solar, increasing battery storage, their use of nuclear power, displacing natural gas, renewable fuel reserve capacity for reliability purposes, and number six, bringing green hydrogen to Florida. Each section has a current status and stated goals in clear terms. Timelines are provided, and while the numbers are high level, the quantities involved, they state that they will produce 90,000 megawatts of solar production, 50,000 megawatts of battery storage, and I've already told you what their capital debt budget is. That shows significant corporate commitment. So they, they're good there. The cost of doing good. Next Era Energy does not state their costs in explicit terms in their ESG report. However, I looked at their balance sheet in some detail after going through the safety exercise above. I looked at their planned capital cost. The balance sheet shows approximately 61 billion. So the question here is not whether the funds are being spent on environmental or societal improvement, but whether the investments are efficient and effective. So that will require additional research on my part through both the balance sheet and their stated plans for renewable energy development and the other uh, areas that they cited. So in terms of their cost of goods, I'm not eliminating them. They may be doing very well. In fact, they should be doing very well because they're a $170 billion company. They should be well positioned based on their size, the length of time they've been in business to be making very intelligent and prescient investments. My third criteria is transparency. The appendices provide a detailed supporting documentation, their standards for their data collection, their standards for assembling the data, both from energy industry and societal organizations. They cited United Nations benchmarks. Very transparent. What's my conclusion? Next year, energy meets the ESG requirements for investing and the growth criteria. However, given the amount of debt as a portion of the company's equity, I will need to look at more detail in those investments. The planned debt payments and the projected revenue streams to support the debt and produce a satisfactory return in the future. I may find that it is a good investment after that research. Given that they are a $170 billion company, as I mentioned, they should be in the capacity to position themselves for the future. After I've done that research, I will look at what would be a good price for the stock. So those are the safety, growth, and ESG criteria for two companies, one a direct environmental company and one an indirect environmental company. I think the way that I've articulated how I did it is pretty clear. It's not excessively complicated and something that might be of interest to you. However, I have one more question to ask you. Uh, there was a TV show where they had a bonus round. I can't remember the name of the show, but this is your bonus round. And it's a very practical question. And it layers a different but important aspect to putting your money someplace that is safe 
grows and meets your values. The question is, how much work can I reasonably perform on a consistent basis to make this happen, to do this ESG research? And this is not a pejorative question, as in, well, you better put in the time and effort if you really care about this, or you're some kind of dummy. No, this is a reality check question. Research can always be more detailed. I manage some computer systems for trading systems, and one of the traders was always saying, there's never enough time, there's never enough information, and there's never enough money, but we always have to pull the trigger. So this is a question that is more a reality check. Do I have the time to do this type of research? It's very rewarding, but if you don't have the time to do it, why would you set yourself up for failure? The question basically is how much time and energy do you realistically have? And then scale your investing process to the amount of time available because other people are out there doing this work as well. And maybe it's a better use of your time to say, okay, I know what my criteria are. Can I find somebody? Can I find a fund? Can I find an entity that's acting very similar to me and have them put in the time and then all you have to do is read their research and uh, modify or correct as necessary. That question can be answered by asking the question, how much is it worth to have someone do the work for you? And as I put this agenda together, it occurred to me that I could have asked you this question before we marched through my criteria process. But if I had done that, how would you know how much work it is? You wouldn't be able to estimate it. The German language is a great language. They have at least five different words for knowledge. Wissenschaft, Gesellschaft, Gelernen, Kennen. But the one that I like is Verstehen. V-E-R-S-T-E-H-E-N. Verstehen. Which literally translates to stand through. Meaning you have to experience something to understand it in a way that you're really truly going to own it. Okay, at the end of each podcast, I give you either some tasks or some questions. So I recommend that you consider doing two things. Pick two additional ESG companies, one by the virtue of the way they do business, and one that produces a direct product or service that is environmentally or societally beneficial, and replicate the process I have outlined for you. I recommend that you don't spend more than an hour or maximum an hour and a half on the process and then do two things. Number one, see what you've got from information. Is it solid? Is it enough to make a decision or enough to lead you to the information to make a decision? And secondly, how did you feel about the process? Was it engaging? Was it interesting? Was it exciting? Or could you not wait for it to be over? There's a clue in answering my last bonus question to you. The second task, consider having a mutual fund do the research for you, as I just suggested. You, but use the three sets of criteria that I outlined in this podcast and pick two funds, then apply the criteria and see how well or not the fund answers your question and delivers a satisfactory ESG investment for you. Given the number of funds out there, given that a lot of these people are very smart people who do want your money, there has to be somebody who is thinking along these lines or even better. For my part, I will post resources that I've cited today on my website, Fin Frameworks. 
I will continue my ESG research as uh, there's been some response to listeners that I'd like to respond to. And also I've seen significant changes in how investment institutions are approaching the subject in just the last 12 months. And I have no reason to believe that there will not be more changes in the next 12 months. One of the principles of life that I apply pretty regularly, and as I get older, more reluctantly, but one of the principles that I apply is Moore's Law. If I'm stating it correctly, I believe Gordon Moore stated in either the late 50s or the early 60s that computing power would double every 18 months. To my understanding, his prediction is still true. So I have to believe that there will be changes and wouldn't we like to be prepared for those changes? B.B. Uh, King, the great philosopher and guitar player and singer, once said, it's always better to have more than you need than to need more than you have. I would like to help you be in that position. We always want to be ahead of the curve. And in my next podcast, we'll talk about that. As always, I hope that this has been helpful, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Mike Lee Hinn, Financial Frameworks.